Book One, Chapter Five of the Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book One, The Three Women, Chapter Five: Perplexity Among Honest People. Thomason looked as if quite overcome by her aunt's change of manner. It means just what it seems to mean. I am not married. She sighed faintly. Excuse me for humiliating you, aunt, by this mishap. I am sorry for it, but I cannot help it. Me? Think of yourself first. It was nobody's fault. When we got there, the parson wouldn't marry us because of some trifling irregularity in the license. What irregularity? I, I don't know. Mr. Wildeth can explain. I did not think when I went away this morning that I should come back like this. It being dark, Thomason allowed her emotion to escape her by the silent way of tears, which could roll down her cheek unseen. I could almost say that it serves you right, if I did not feel that you don't deserve it. Continued Mrs. Yobright, who, possessing two distinct moods in close contiguity, a gentle mood and an angry, flew from one to the other without the least warning. Remember, Thomasin, this business was none of my seeking. From the very first, when you began to feel foolish about that man, I warned you he would not make you happy. I felt it so strongly that I did what I would never have believed myself capable of doing, stood up in the church and made myself the public talk for weeks. But having once consented, I don't submit to these fancies without good reason. Marry him you must after this do you think i wish to do otherwise for one moment said thomason with a heavy sigh i know how wrong it was of me to love him but don't pain me by talking like this aunt you would not have had me stay there with him would you and your house is the only home i have to return to he says we can be married in a day or two i wish he had never seen you very well then i will be the miserablest woman in the world and not let him see me again no i won't have him it is too late to speak so come with me i'm going to the inn to see if he has returned of course i shall get to the bottom of this story at once mr wildeve must not suppose he can play tricks upon me or any belonging to me it was not that the license was wrong and he couldn't get another the same day he will tell you in a moment how it was if he comes why didn't he bring you back that was me again sobbed thomason when i found we could not be married i didn't like to come back with him and i was very ill then i saw diggory venn and was glad to get him to take me home i cannot explain it any better and you must be angry with me if you will i shall see about that said mrs yobright and they turned towards the inn known in the neighbourhood as the quiet woman the sign of which represented the figure of a matron carrying her head under her arm, beneath which gruesome design was written the couplet so well known to frequenters of the inn, Since the woman's quiet, let no man breed a riot. The front of the house was towards the heath, and rain-barrow, whose dark shape seemed to threaten it from the sky. Upon the door was a neglected brass plate bearing the unexpected inscription, Mr. Wildeef, engineer. A useless but cherished relic from the time when he had been started in that profession in an office at Budmouth 
by those who had hoped much from him and had been disappointed. The garden was at the back, and behind this ran a still deep stream, forming the margin of the heath in that direction, meadowland appearing beyond the stream. But the thick obscurity permitted only skylines to be visible of any scene at present. The water at the back of the house could be heard idly spinning whirlpools in its creep between the rows of dry feather-headed reeds which formed a stockade along each bank. Their presence was denoted by sounds as of a congregation praying humbly, produced by their rubbing against each other in a slow wind. The window, whence the candlelight had shown up the veil to the eyes of the bonfire group, was uncurtained but the sill lay too high for a pedestrian on the outside to look over it into the room. A vast shadow, in which could be dimly traced portions of a masculine contour, blotted half the ceiling. "'He seems to be at home,' said Mrs. Yobright. "'Must I come in too, aunt?' asked Thomason faintly. "'I suppose not. It would be wrong.' "'You must come, certainly, to confront him.' so that he may make no false representations to me. We shall not be five minutes in the house, and then we'll walk home. Entering the open passage, she tapped at the door of the private parlour, unfastened it, and looked in. The back and shoulders of a man came between Mrs. Yobright's eyes and the fire. Wildeve, whose form it was, immediately turned, arose, and advanced to meet his visitors. He was quite a young man and of the two properties, form and motion, the latter first attracted the eye to him. The grace of his movement was singular. It was the pantomimic expression of a lady-killing career. Next came into notice the more material qualities, among which was a profuse crop of hair impending over the top of his face, lending to his forehead the high-cornered outline of an early Gothic shield, and a neck which was smooth and round as a cylinder. The lower half of his figure was of light build. Altogether he was one in whom no man would have seen anything to admire, and in whom no woman would have seen anything to dislike. He discerned the young girl's form in the passage, and said, "'Thomasin then has reached home. How could you leave me in that way, darling?' And turning to Mrs. Yobright, "'It was useless to argue with her. She would go, and go alone.' "'But what's the meaning of it all?' demanded Mrs. Yobright haughtily. "'Take a seat,' said Wildeve, placing chairs for the two women. "'Well, it was a very stupid mistake, but such mistakes will happen. The licence was useless at Angelbury. It was made out for Budmouth. But as I didn't read it, I wasn't aware of that.' "'But you had been staying at Angelbury?' "'No, I had been at Budmouth till two days ago, and that was where I had intended to take her.' but when I came to fetch her we decided on Angelbury, forgetting that a new licence would be necessary. There was not time to get to Budmouth afterwards. I think you are very much to blame, said Mrs. Yobright. It was quite my fault we chose Angelbury, Thomason pleaded. I proposed it because I was not known there. I know so well that I am to blame that you need not remind me of it, replied Wildeve shortly. Such things don't happen for nothing said the aunt it is a great slight to me and my family and when it gets known there will be a very unpleasant time for us how can she look her friends in the face to-morrow it is a very great injury and one i cannot easily forgive it may even reflect on her character nonsense said wildeve 
Thomason's large eyes had flown from the face of one to the face of the other during this discussion, and she now said anxiously, "'Will you allow me, Aunt, to talk it over alone with Damon for five minutes? Will you, Damon?' "'Certainly, dear,' said Wild Eve. "'If your aunt will excuse us?' He led her into an adjoining room, leaving Mrs. Yobright by the fire. As soon as they were alone and the door closed, Thomason said, turning up her pale, tearful face to him, "'It is killing me, this Damon. I did not mean to part from you in anger at Anglebury this morning, but I was frightened and hardly knew what I said. I have not let aunt know how much I suffered to-day.' and it is so hard to command my face and voice, and to smile as if it were a slight thing to me. But I try to do so, that she may not be still more indignant with you. I know you could not help it, dear, whatever aunt may think. She is very unpleasant. Yes, Thomason murmured. And I suppose I seem so now. Damon, what do you mean to do about me? Do about you? Yes. Those who don't like you whisper things which at moments make me doubt you. We mean to marry, I suppose, don't we? Of course we do. We have only to go to Budmouth on Monday, and we marry at once. Then do let us go. Oh, Damon, what you make me say? She hid her face in her handkerchief. Here am I, asking you to marry me, when by rights you ought to be on your knees, imploring me, your cruel mistress, not to refuse you, and saying it would break your heart if I did. I used to think it would be pretty and sweet like that, but how different. Yes, real life is never at all like that. But I don't care personally if it never takes place. She added, with a little dignity. No, I can live without you. It is aunt I think of. She's so proud and thinks so much of her family respectability that she will be cut down with mortification if this story should get abroad before it is done. My cousin Clean, too, will be much wounded. Then he will be very unreasonable. In fact, you're all rather unreasonable. Thomason coloured a little, and not with love. But whatever the momentary feeling which caused that flush in her, it went as it came and she humbly said i never mean to be if i can help it i merely feel that you have my aunt to some extent in your power at last as a matter of justice it is almost due to me said wild eve think what i have gone through to win her consent the insult that is to any man to have the bands forbidden the double insult to a man unlucky enough to be cursed with sensitiveness and blue demons and heaven knows what as i am I can never forget those bands. A harsher man would rejoice now in the power I have of turning upon your aunt by going no further in the business." She looked wistfully at him with her sorrowful eyes as he said those words, and her aspect showed that more than one person in the room could deplore the possession of sensitiveness. Seeing that she was really suffering, he seemed disturbed, and added, "'This is merely a reflection, you know. I have not the least intention to refuse to complete the marriage, Tamsy mine. I could not bear it. You could not, I know, said the fair girl, brightening. You, who cannot bear the sight of pain in even an insect, or any disagreeable sound, or unpleasant smell even, will not long cause pain to me and mine. I will not, if I can help it. Your hand upon it, Damon. He carelessly gave her his hand. Ah, by my crown, what's that? 
he said suddenly. There fell upon their ears the sound of numerous voices singing in front of the house. Among these two made themselves prominent by their peculiarity. One was a very strong bass, the other a wheezy thin piping. Thomas had recognized them, as belonging to Timothy Fairway and Granfer Cantle, respectively. "'What does it mean? It is not skimity riding, I hope,' she said, with a frightened gaze at Wildeve. "'Of course not, no. It is that the Heathfolk have come to sing us a welcome. This is intolerable.' He began pacing about, the men outside singing cheerily, he told her that she was the joy of his life, and if she consent he would make her his wife. She, she could not refuse him to church, so they went. Young Will was forgotten, young Sue was content, and then was she kissed and sat down on his knee. No man in the world was so loving as he. Mrs. Yobright burst in from the outer room. "'Thomasin! Thomasin!' she said, looking indignantly at Wildeve. "'Here's a pretty exposure. Let us escape at once. Come!' It was, however, too late to get away by the passage. A rugged knocking had begun upon the door of the front room. Wildeve, who had gone to the window, came back. "'Stop!' he said imperiously, putting his hand upon Mrs. Yobright's arm. We are regularly besieged. There are fifty of them out there if there's one. You stay in this room with Thomasin. I'll go out and face them. You must stay now for my sake till they are gone, so that it may seem as if all was right. Come, Tamsy dear, don't go making a scene. We must marry after this. That you can see as well as I. Sit still, that's all, and don't speak much. I'll manage them. Blundering fools. He pressed the agitated girl into a seat, returned to the outer room, and opened the door. Immediately outside, in the passage, appeared Granfer Cantle, singing in concert with those still standing in front of the house. He came into the room, and nodded abstractedly to Wildeve, his lips still parted and his features excruciatingly strained in the emission of the chorus. This being ended, he said heartily, Here's welcome to the new-made couple, and God bless em. Thank you, said Wildeve, with dry resentment, his face as gloomy as a thunderstorm. At the Granfer's heels now came the rest of the group, which included Fairway, Christian, Sam the Turf-Cutter, Humphrey, and a dozen others. All smiled upon Wildeve, and upon his tables and chairs likewise, from a general sense of friendliness towards the articles as well as towards their owner. "'We be not here for Mrs. Yeobright, after all,' said Fairway, recognizing the matron's bonnet through the glass partition which divided the public apartment they had entered from the room where the women sat. "'We struck down across, you see, Mr. Waldeve, and she went round by the path.' "'And I see the young bride's little head.' said Granfer, peeping in the same direction, and discerning Thomason, who was waiting beside her aunt in a miserable and awkward way. "'Not quite settled in yet. Well, well, there's plenty of time.' Wildeve made no reply, and, probably feeling that the sooner he treated them, the sooner they would go, he produced a stone jar, which threw a warm halo over matters at once. 
that's a drop of the right sort i can see said grandfer cattle with the air of a man too well-mannered to show any hurry to taste yes said wild eve tis some old mead i hope you will like it oh ay replied the guests in the hearty tones natural when the words demanded by politeness coincide with those of deepest feeling there isn't a prettier drink under the sun i'll take my oath there isn't added grandfer cantle all that can be said against mead is that tis rather heady and apt to lie about a man a good while but to-morrow's sunday thank god i feel for all the world like some bold soldier after i had had some once said christian you should feel so again said wild eve with condescension cups or glasses gentlemen well if you don't mind we'll have the beaker and pass it round tis better than hellin it out in dribbles down the slippery glasses said grandfer cantle what's the good of a thing you can't put down in the ashes to warm eh neighbours that's what i ask right grandfer said sam and the mead then circulated well said timothy fairway feeling demands upon his praise in some form or other tis a worthy thing to be married mr waldive and the woman you've got is a diamond so say i yes he continued to grandfather cantle raising his voice so as to be heard through the partition her father inclining his head towards the inner room was as good a feller as ever lived he always had his great indignation ready against anything underhand is that very dangerous said christian and there were few in these parts that were upsides with him said sam whenever a club walked he'd play the clarinet in the band that marched before him as if he'd never touched anything but a clarinet all his life and then when they got to church door he'd throw down the clarinet mount the gallery snatch up the bass vial and rouse em away as if he'd never played anything but a bass vial folk would say folk that knowed what a true stave was surely surely there's never the same man that i saw hands with a clarinet so masterly by now i can mind it said the first cutter twas a wonderful thing that one body could hold it all and never mix the fingering there was kingsborough church likewise fairway recommenced as one opening a new vein of the same mine of interest wild eve breathed the breath of one intolerably bored and glanced through the partition at the prisoners he used to walk over there of a sunday afternoon to visit his old acquaintance andrew brown the first clarinet there a good man enough but rather screechy in his music if you can mind i was and neighbor yebright would take andrew's place for some part of the service to let andrew have a bit of a nap as any friend would naturally do as any friend would said grandfer cantle the other listeners expressing the same accord by the shorter way of nodding their heads no sooner was andrew asleep and the first whiff of neighbor yebright's wind had got inside andrew's clarinet then every one in church filled in a moment there was a great soul among them all heads would turn and they'd say ah i thought twas he one sunday i can well mind a bass vile day that time and yobright had brought his own 
twas the hundred and thirty-third to lydia and when they'd come to ran down his beard and o'er his robes its costly moisture shed neighbor yobride who had just worn to his work drove his bow into them strings that glorious grand that he in almost sewed the bass viol into two pieces every window in church rattled as if twere a thunderstorm old parson williams lifted his hands in his great holy surplice as natural as if he'd been in common clothes and seemed to say himself oh for such a man in our parish but not a soul in kingsbury could hold a candle to yobright was it quite safe when the window shook christian inquired he received no answer all for the moment sitting wrapped in admiration of the performance described as with farinelli's singing before the princesses sheridan's renowned begum speech and other such examples the fortunate condition of its being forever lost to the world invested the deceased mr yobright's tour de force on that memorable afternoon with a cumulative glory which comparative criticism had that been possible might considerably have shorn down he was the last you'd have expected to drop off in the prime of life said humphrey ah well he was looking for the earth some months before he went at that time women used to run for smocks and gown pieces at greenhill fair and my wife that is now being a long-legged slittering maid hardly husband high went with the rest of the maidens for i was a good runner for she got so heavy when she came home i said we were then just beginning to walk together what have you got my honey i won well i won a gown piece says she her colours coming up in a moment tis a smock for a crown i thought and so it turned out ay when i think what she'll say to me now without a morsel of red in her face it do seem strange that i wouldn't say such a little thing then however then she went on and that's what made me bring up the story well whatever clothes i've won white or figured for eyes to see or for eyes not to see i could do pretty stroke of modesty in those days i'd sooner have lost it than have seen what i have poor mr yobright was took bad directly he reached the fair ground and was forced to go home again that was the last time he ever went out of the parish a faltered on from one day to another and then we heard he was gone do you think he had great pain when i died said christian oh no quite different nor any pain of mind he was lucky enough to be god almighty's own man and other folk do you think twill be much pain to em mr fairway that depends on whether they be afeard i bain't afeard at all i thank god said christian strenuously i'm glad i bain't for then twon't pain me i don't think i be afeard or if i be i can't help it and i don't deserve to suffer i wish i was not afeard at all there was a solemn silence and looking from the window which was unshuttered and unblinded timothy said well what a fierce little bonfire that one is out by captain vyse tis burning just the same now as ever upon my life 
all glances went through the window, and nobody noticed that Wildeev disguised a brief tell-tale look. Far away up the sombre valley of Heath and to the right of Rainbarrow could indeed be seen the light, small, but steady and persistent as before. "'Twas lighted before ours was," Fairway continued. "'And yet every one in the country round is out of foreign." "'Perhaps there's meaning in it,' murmured Christian. "'How meaning?' said Wild Eve sharply. Christian was too scattered to reply, and Timothy helped him. "'He means, sir, that the lonesome dark-eyed creature up there, that some say is a witch, ever I should call a fine woman such a name, is always up to some odd conceit or other, and so perhaps tis she. I'd be very glad to ask her in wedlock, if she'd have me, and take the risk of her wild dark eyes ill-wishing me," said Grandfer Cantle staunchly. "'Don't ye say it, father,' implored Christian. "'Well, be dazed if he who do marry the maid won't hae an uncommon picture for his best parlour,' said Fairway in a liquid tone, placing down the cup of mead at the end of a good pool. "'And a partner as deep as the North Star,' said Sam, taking up the cup and finishing the little that remained. "'Well, really, now I think we must be moving,' said Humphrey, observing the emptiness of the vessel. "'But we'll give him another song,' said Grandfer Cantle. "'I'm as full of notes as a bird.' "'Thank you, Grandfer," said Wild Eve. "'But we will not trouble you now. Some other day must do for that, when I have a party.' "'Be jammed if I don't learn ten new songs for it, or I won't learn a line,' said Grandfer Cantle. "'I quite believe you,' said that gentleman. All then took their leave, wishing their entertainer long life and happiness as a married man, with recapitulations which occupied some time. Wild Eve attended them to the door, beyond which the deep-dyed upward stretch of heath stood awaiting them, an amplitude of darkness reigning from their feet almost to the zenith, where a definite form first became visible in the towering forehead of Rainbarrow diving into the dense obscurity in a line headed by Sam the turf-cutter, they pursued their trackless way home. When the scratching of the furs against their leggings had fainted upon the ear, Wildeve returned to the room where he had left Thomason and her aunt. The women were gone. They could only have left the house in one way, by the back window, and this was open. Wildeve laughed to himself, remained a moment thinking, and idly returned to the front room. Here his glance fell on a bottle of wine which stood on the mantelpiece. "'Ah, oh, old Dowden,' he murmured, and going to the kitchen door, shouted, "'Is there anybody here who can take something to old Dowden?' There was no reply. The room was empty, the lad who acted as his factotum having gone to bed. Wildeef came back, put on his hat, took the bottle, and left the house, turning the key in the door, for there was no guest at the inn to-night. As soon as he was on the road, the little bonfire at Mistover Knapp again met his eye. "'Still waiting, are you, my lady?' he murmured. However, he did not proceed that way just then, but leaving the hill to the left of him, 
he stumbled over a ruffled road that brought him to a cottage which like all the other habitations on the heath at this hour was only saved from being visible by a faint shine from its bedroom window the house was the home of ollie dowden the besom maker and he entered the lower room was in darkness but by feeling his way he found a table whereon he placed the bottle and a minute later emerged again upon the heath he stood and looked northeast at the undying little fire high up above him though not so high as rainbarrow we have been told what happens when a woman deliberates and the epigraph is not always terminable with woman provided that one be in the case and that a fair one wild eve stood and stood longer and breathed perplexedly and then said to himself with resignation yes by heaven i must go to her i suppose instead of turning in the direction of home he pressed on rapidly by a path under rainbarrow towards what was evidently a signal light end of book one chapter five